Hi, I'm Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon, and I'm the host of CPOV Autographs at CertainPOV.com. It is a bi-weekly interview series where I interview folks from all over the arts, from writers to comedians to magicians to musicians, even actors, historians, podcasters, pretty much anyone who's willing to chat with me for a little bit. If you like interesting conversations with even more interesting people, go to CertainPOV.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, music is life and life is good. Actors to places. Thank you, places. It's time to exit stage death. Welcome back to Exit Stage Death. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Maddie Lemerick. And I'm your other co-host, Emily Martinez. And these are the chilling true stories behind your favorite Broadway shows. Welcome back, Em. Welcome back, Maddie. So we've done flop shows. We covered Carrie, we covered Rebecca, but this month we are rounding out season one and we're doing shows that seem too strange to be real. (laughs) And in reality and actuality, they caused massive amounts of injuries, a huge amount of lost money. And for all, all purposes, they just shouldn't have happened. They shouldn't have opened. So I have a question to kick this off. Yes. What comes to mind when I say the the word, the name, Andrew Lloyd Webber? I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> especially uh, today, we are, we are recording this in September, so especially mm-hmm. because the man is making a headlines with deciding to close Phantom. We'll see if it actually closes. I think it uh-huh. might be kind of a PR stunt. I mean, it is time, but, you know, 35 years. But this is also, like, months after Cinderella on the West End just happened as well. I, where think, they, he's impl- I think he's imploding. He is. I mean, it's it's weird because, like, come February, this will be the first time in 35 years that there, actually longer than that, that there has not been an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical running on Broadway. I think it's, like, 45 years that this will be. Yeah, because he had shows, I think, as far back as, like, 70. Oh, no, I mean, because you had Superstar. I mean... But I think starting with Evita, there was always like some sort of Weber show running. Yeah. So what Someone I Someone will correct of, me. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. He's <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. He's a lot. He, yeah, his shows are polarizing. People love him or hate them. And if you worship at the Church of Weber, you worship at the church, you worship at the church, church of Weber. Mm-hmm. I, you know. I frequent today, the Church of Weber. I don't yeah. know if I worship there. I don't worship there, but I do go for mass every once in a while. Yeah. I will say I'm School of Rock. <laughs> School of Rock was brilliant. Mm-hmm. I do love a Jesus Christ Superstar moment. Love me some Jesus Avita, Christ. Avita, I fucks with some Avita. Um, even though the poor man has not had a good film adaptation of any of his musicals, except for maybe Jesus Christ Superstar. I was going to say, Jesus, I have to, I was like, uh, Superstar's put great. Jesus Christ, yeah. Superstar's a great movie, but like, Phantoms movie is terrible. Mm. The Cats movie is terrible. The Evita <laughs> movie is terrible. Well, the Evita movie is not terrible. It's just Madonna can't sing it. Like, and if you don't have a Patti LaPone or an Ellen Page, she's also white. Yeah. Oh, that's fucking true. <laughs> yeah. Don't get me started with that. But for better or for worse, his shows have taken the world by storm. And while his sound is always recognizable, the subjects of his shows vary widely. I mean, started with kind of religious backgrounds to even like his wizard. We've had in the last 10 years, a school of rock, a wizard of Oz and a Cinderella from him. Like, it's just so unusual what he's doing. 
But today, we're talking about possibly his strangest property. And yes, stranger than dancing cats, my friends, because today we are talking about Starlight Express. So other than maybe the family guy bit, which like everyone knows, which if you haven't seen it, I'll put it on social media, but it's Peter Griffin in a costume on the national tour set. I must add, they knew what the national tour set looked like. It's going Starlight Express, Starlight Express, Starlight Express. Um, what... What do you know about Starlight Express, Em? Honestly, not that much. I yep. honestly didn't know that it was Andrew Lloyd Webber. I, when we realized we were doing this episode, I was like, I'm not going to look up anything. So this is all <laughs> going to be truly learning on the job. I know that Perfect. it has to do with roller, bla- uh, roller skating. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the and trains? Yes, trains. Sentient and trains. I love it. I love a sentient train. Mm-hmm. And that the costumes looked I remember seeing a picture once and the costuming is wild. 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 So I unironically love this show. Like, and it's because of my friend Mae Bartow. So like, shout out to her. Uh, We went to undergrad together. And I think she is the largest fan of Starlight Express that is out there. Anybody else can fight her and will lose. (laughs) Um, Most Americans think of it as a niche music legend from the 80s. But for international fans, it's a huge part of their musical theater love and a contemporary part of their lexicon. So we're going to jump in. Amazing. The Road to the West End and Broadway started in the mid-1970s when Andrew Lloyd Webber took interest in writing a, uh, in, in a book series by Reverend W. Audrey called Thomas the Tank Engine. <gasps> I love Thomas! And Thomas. so he wanted to he wanted to take and develop the Thomas books into an animated musical television series for kids. Um, Granada Productions um, came on board with him, and the show went to pilot. They made a pilot, and it didn't continue at a pilot because there was a concern that the show wouldn't find international appeal. Though I have to say that when Starlight Express opened on the West End in 1984, Thomas the Tank Engine debuted on TV months later and was an international phenomenon. I like, fucking lived for Thomas. I Well, and like in America, it was called Shining Time Station. So they took the like Thomas stories and put them around kind of an yeah. Americanized idea of this tiny local train uh, train thing. If nobody's seen it, it was on PBS with like Didi Khan from Greece and Re- Ringo Starr and George Carlin. Like all these Wait weird, like the things that shouldn't have happened. Um, I but and e- for it. <laughs> and even I was watching Flipping the TV uh, a couple weeks ago when I was overnight in the hospital. And there is a new like CGI kids Thomas series. I believe mm-hmm. it's on PBS mm-hmm. or on Nickelodeon. It's super cute. Um, but the track to international fame didn't like stop there. Like this this kind of idea. So essentially it's, it's said that there are three scrapped ideas that led to Starlight Express existing. So that was the first. The second, there was um, an American pop singer named Earl Jones who had this genetic mutation abnormality to his vocal cords and he could sing three notes at the same time think early whistle tone mm-hmm. and it sounded like a train whistle so weber and a writer named peter reeves wrote him a song called engine of love that was like train themed or whatever around this like train whistle he could do but it completely failed to chart in the u.s and it would actually go on to be placed into certain productions of starlight express 
because uh, this is a point where I don't think a lot of people realize Weber is young. He isn't that far out of uni. Like Jesus Christ Superstar and Joseph were happening in the 70s. But like he was writing stuff for kids TV. He was writing pop music. I mean, let's not forget Phantom also started as a pop like charting song with a British pop star and Sarah, uh, Sarah, I almost said Sarah Bareilles, but Sarah Brightman. Um, and then lastly, in 1977, around the same time Engine of Love was released, Weber was approached to write music for an animated feature around the story of Cinderella. It would be a U.S. movie, but with trains. And these trains were vying for the opportunity to pull the royal train cars. Such a great movie idea, right? But like, so it was like said that it went to production hell. Like it was just a nightmare every step of the way. And so it never made it to full production or release. But Weber was just it really obsessed with this idea. It like Cats in a way. It like, absolutely. Well, I mean, we're going to talk about it. Starlight Express and Cats really parallel each other in their storytelling yeah. ideas. Like um, this is my name. This is what I do. Yep. Yep, pretty much. And But Weber loved trains and was obsessed with the idea of telling stories with trains. Mm-hmm. So that brings us to 1981. And Weber wants to work on the idea of the train show. So he thought about doing it because originally Joseph was done as like a concert. Like mm-hmm. the storytelling idea of Joseph is a concert. And so he brings on board Richard Stilgon. And to develop this kind of idea of this trains in concert. And they present two songs at the Sid Montan Festival, which was a showcase that Weber himself had developed years before to help new works be workshopped and developed and to find their creative teams. I think it's an incredible idea. I wish we had more of this now because it takes actually very little money. It just takes some rehearsal rooms and like you and your friends doing things. But otherwise I feel like everybody feels like they have to go through the MTI musical theater workshop, the OG, the Eugene O'Neill center, all these things. But Trevor, what I just did at this festival, pretty much. Yeah, absolutely. That is absolutely correct. So Trevor Nunn, who is a really well-known Broadway director was in attendance and he offered to help take the show from a simple childlike idea to something large and spectacle based. So over the next two years, the team just worked and worked and worked and they've developed the idea of a large train race Mm -hmm. and that these characters were competing in and they were vying for some sort of prize and that it would probably be best if maybe the show was done on roller skates. So, much like we saw with Carrie, um, they got act one done and they workshopped the first act in London in 1983 with a cast that included Tracy Ullman, the comedian. What? I know. Um, well, we'll go on to a comic legend that made her Broadway debut in Starlight Express. Uh, we'll get there soon. Um, and people really liked it. They loved the idea. They liked the gumption. They liked the music because Weber was always about amplifying the contemporary sound and making it musical theater. Like mm-hmm. Phantom of the Opera, those electric guitars yeah. in Phantom. I'm sorry, there's nothing like it, and it gives me fucking chills. I love it. And so it was greenlit for 1984 West End opening. So let's talk plot a little bit. I'm going to gloss over this heavily because it is pages and pages long, and it is absolutely batshit. Where Cats (laughs) generally lacks a plot, this has too much plot and still works the same way Cats does. So unlike most musicals where they 
are relatively unchanged as they open um, from production to production. They do kind of what they they freeze it and then they always kind of encapsulate and kind of re like rehash the same thing like with Wicked when they did the tour in Chicago it just didn't work the same way Broadway did so like there used to be a giant witch's hat that came up out of the stage like that just floated on stage and spun around Mm -hmm. and they got sucked into the stage didn't work in Chicago so they cut it from the show those are little things that change but every time Starlight Express opens in a new place as the same production, the plot would be tweaked. Costumes and set would be redesigned. The whole song and character layout of the show would be added or cut, which I actually think is really fucking cool. So no production has ever really been like any other production. Um, though the basic idea of the plot has stayed roughly the same. Mm-hmm. So shows open. The show opens on a boy falling asleep as he's playing with his trains. And the show is his dream. So after we see him in that opening scene, he's just a voice. He's called That's the cute. controller. Um, so we meet Rusty, who is a young but oddly out of date steam engine because steam engines were becoming obsolete. And the show is about trains racing with a coach car to be the train champion for that year and have all the status and like be the it train. Dope, and it dope, was dope. really dope, dope, dope. Um, so there's an American diesel engine named Greaseball. There's an electric <laughs> engine named Electra and six other uh, engines that are there to um, compete that are all from different countries. So like France is Bobo, Italy is Espresso, Wiltchef is is uh, German, Trunov is uh, Russian, and Hashimoto is Japanese, and the city of Milton Keys is British. I think that's so weird. And so as well as... Um, the engines there are coach cars that come with them so it's like they all come on stage together as like an engine and then there's four or five coach cars behind them it's just kind of how trains are laid out um and so there's coach cars that are like ashley the smoking car dinah the dining car buffy the buffet car and a freezer truck called volta and pearl an observation car which if you've ever ridden a train i love train travel they have these like little domes on them so it kind of looks like a pearl uh, so Rusty is gasket over wheels in love with Pearl, uh, but she has no interest in racing with him. Um, she goes with the shinier. Uh, actually, what's really funny is like all of the train engines pick their coach car and then they all start switching around. It's all these love affairs. The women's characters are have no agency, have no character development. Um, for sung through musical, the plot is basically there. There are three rounds composed of an engine and a coach car partner, and those that win each race compete in the final. Mm-hmm. There's sabotage, betrayal, hijinks, and train violence. Train and of violence. course, and of course, M, there's a train god called the Starlight Express. Of course. There is a emotionally manipulative religious message mm-hmm. about find the starlight. Mm-hmm. Um, so a past <laughs> champion named Papa, who's Papa. a big old steam, big old steam engine that runs the like um scrapyard and things, he he decides that because he hates Greaseball and Electra and how shitty all these dudes are, um, Papa races and uh, or Pops races and wins, but then is just like so run down he can't. So they agree to let Rusty step in for him, and it's because the controller makes these choices. So I also have to think about it. it's like how is a kid playing? It's just gonna sound senseless. Um, so Rusty steps in for him, and Rusty of course loses. Rusty has no faith in himself as a little steam engine. He loses that. They appeal because the American or the English train gets scrapped and suddenly disappears. Um, so Rusty 
competes again for the final and he gets partnered with a break card named CB who intentionally sabotages him because of Greaseball and all these things and Dinah and it's 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 a fucking train wreck if you will this plot it's giving showgirls it's giving brave little toaster Oh, yes. But in the end, they agree to let Rusty compete again with the other two. And because of sabotage um, and he believes the Starlight Express is having him win the schemes that the other trains have done backfires. They crash. One of them abandons Pearl. She thinks she's cost Rusty the race and and she falls in love with Rusty and they are coupled forever. There's this terrible song called Uncoupling, which is similar to... um, uh Lauren's song in Kinky Boots history of uh mm-hmm. uh yeah um history of bad so, guys yeah so honestly it's a child's dream it doesn't have to make sense yeah. i wish it did but in the train <laughs> in the end the trains turn on the voice of the controller who is the child and they declare that they're freedom and that they get control over themselves and they celebrate the second coming of steam power declared that it is the superior operation type takes a weird turn right Whoa. i know i know i know Whoa. <laughs> but honestly it's a plot that's easier to hash out while you're watching it a lot of okay. the first act is taken up by songs introducing the cast much like cats like each song comes in and they've got their their thing and if you look on wikipedia or the fandom wiki the songs from the original west end production are listed and it's notated which ones are added taken out what productions they're for and the show adds over the years songs and book content by Don Black, David Yazbek from Full Monty and Dirty Rotten Scoundrels fame, mm-hmm. uh, Nick Collette, and Lauren Aquina. So the show opens March 27th, 1984 at the Apollo Victoria Theater in London. This production is directed by Trevor Nunn. Arlene Phillips creates all the roller choreography and John Napier designs costumes and sets together. It's a very British thing. The set contains tracks that extend out into the audience spaces and a multi-level set with an automated bridge that went up and down and connected them and apparently weighed like one and a half million pounds. Like it was something ridiculous. Like it was a, like, or one and a half tons. It was something crazy that would run until 1992. So not bad. And they closed the show temporarily. They rehashed the show. So in that We've time, America, so in that time, uh, Broadway had opened and closed. The American National Tour had started. Um, and so they they decided to just tweak it a little. Uh, the Germany had already opened as well. Um, and they reopened the show under the new Starlight Express, where many of the changes were made, removing 12 songs. 12 songs! They added in five new. They cut two major characters. They caused the plot holes but then they hash the plot out a lot better and this this version ran till 2002 so another 10 years and as far as theater historians consider this it's one continuous run because they literally were closed for like four weeks because london theater uk theater does this often because what they will just do is replace an entire cast at any given time so there's reasons to keep coming back cinderella was just doing this um when they found out that they all lost their jobs. They all lost their jobs. Um, so literally, it's so much... Because, like, I don't know, if, when you think about Starlight Express, I think, like, a splash-in-the-pan show. Like, it ran in no time. But, like, it ran just shy of 20 years continually in London. Like, 18 years. And it feels years. like that's a long... I feel 
feel like London. That is a long time for English theater. That is a long time. time. Uh, Things either run forever there or they don't run at all. Right. Like, you know, it's, but they'll also like reopen a show a year after it closed in a brand new revival. Like Mamma Mia closed and two years later a new production opened. Les Mis does that all the time over there. Um, So three years after it opened on the West End, Broadway opened at our favorite, the Gershwin Theater. Oh, shit. Oh, uh, the shit. Enti- yeah, the entire theater was closed and renovated for this. I believe this is one of the first shows under the name The Gershwin. Because um, I know, well, that was 87, 89, or 79 was when Sweeney Todd was there. It was still the Euros Theater, um, which is the largest theater on Broadway. And it had even more seats then than it does now. And it's because of this production. So they worked really hard to localize the story and make it more relevant to an American audience. Um, And they updated some costumes to help hash those characters out for the audience. In addition, there is this thing that was happening at the time where if something transferred from the West end to Broadway, they like put it on steroids. They amped it full of money glitz. And so they made the set way bigger, grander than the West End production and really amping up that kind of what Americans wanted, which was the spectacle. So this included bridged ramps that went from the top mezzanine down to the stage, as well as tracks that went all the way throughout the audience and then back to the back of the stage. So while this part of the show isn't talked about, both the West End and Broadway productions, there were constant and continual injuries with this show. So many of the tracks had no railings on it. So if you went down, you were also, so like every costume, if you look at them, everybody's back of their, all of the train engines, um, everybody's belts had these giant, metal loops on the back and it's what the people that were part of your train car held on to when you were so when you go down everybody behind you is going down Mm -hmm. and then there's another train of people behind you going down um so a lot of the the ramps didn't have railings so you were also then falling five feet to the floor of the theater like i'm also thinking of like what is it in physics torque when yes the back of the the train is going to go faster than the front yes. because of all mm-hmm. of the energy. Com- mm-hmm. Also, if you've ever been in the Gershwin, think about that drop. There are no railings on there and you're being launched out from the top of the mezzanine down. Like it is. Um, so for that show, the, the stage raked for them? Yes. Oh no. Well, it was no! raked. It was raked and it had like, um, like a half pike, like ramp. Like, that's the thing. The ramp was in the audience. The ramp was on stage. Like, they were continually racing and had, like, central places you could go back to. Um, And the pit was up in what Wicked now has as a rehearsal studio. And it was amped in because they had no space in the pit for an actual pit. Wow. So, in fact, Broadway was having a difficult time finding actors willing to take the chance of being injured and doing the show. By the way, this was Jane Krakowski's Broadway debut. Of course it f- 
fucking was. I she was either Dinah or Pearl. I should have looked that up. Um, but there's now. this awesome actor named Anthony Galdi, Tony Galdi, uh, who was in Wicked Forever. He's the one that came up with the Behind the Emerald Curtain tour that you can take on Saturdays at the Gershwin, where you can see all the costumes, know about the show, kind of everything that went into making Wicked. Well, this was also Anthony Galdi's Broadway debut, and but he recounted so many times where like he fell one night and broke his arm in such a way that his fingertips could touch his bicep, like his bone was out of his arm, like and this was happening so regularly that one of the hospitals around the corner in Hell's Kitchen had a ward that was just for Starlight Express injuries. Oh. There were so many injuries that they were going continually daily over there because of this. Like several actors a night were just and, you know, the show, unfortunately, didn't develop the fan base and interest like it did in the UK. And the Broadway production closed just short of its second anniversary on Broadway. So think of all of that money and all of that time and space. Yeah. And so but in. But in November of 1989, just a couple months later, the first national tour opened and would run till 1991. So a good two years. It was a lot smaller in comparison. And they decided they didn't want to size it up to fit in arenas because clearly an arena makes way more sense for Starlight Express, like an arena tour. So they decided to make it fit in small regional touring theaters. And a lot of the race aspects, because a lot of the show is racist, um, they were made uh, in like warehouses. Oh yeah, racist, racist <laughs> trains. Um, no races. So because you have the three big races, yeah, and so yeah. they streamlined it and they made them in a warehouse using video. So on the tour. You weren't really watching them race around you in the theater. You were watching a video of the race and then the actors would come back out on stage. They continued to streamline the show, cut songs, add characters, tweak things. Um, a second national tour in the U.S. was launched in 2003, a decade later, um, and it ran just about a year. This production featured a lot of new book and score elements by David Yasbeck, and this was produced by notoriously abusive non-union tour company Troika. Notoriously terrible company Troika, which if you know, you know. Um, they kept changing and altering the show on this tour as well, and the audience was given 3D glasses because all of the video had been recreated using 3D technology, and you they used it to replace all the race sections of the show. Are you kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? What a fucking joke. I remember coming to D.C., though, and uh, uh, a really obnoxious like gay theater kid who wasn't out at the time that I went to school with was going to see it, and I was like, you're going to see a train musical? Get the fuck over yourself. Um, and now I wished I'd gone to see it. Oh, I wish I'd gone to see it. And now you're doing a podcast episode about it. I am. And I own it on vinyl. And I own lots of merch from this fucking show because I love it. Uh, the U.S. was not done with Starlight Express. And in 1993, a 90-minute production opened in Las Vegas. And, M, I did not know this. It was the first legitimate Broadway musical to play at one of the Vegas theaters. This was, their, this was their movement to legitimize entertainment in Vegas and offered along with the drag impersonators, the strip shows, to kind of start bringing people there. Um, which I think is funny because that's like the year that Disney bought 
Times Square as well. So it's like all these things that like, it's why you can now go, you know, you can see a 68 minute version of Avenue Q at one point and spam a lot and all these things. But they preserved the integrity of the plot, but gave the like entire show a showgirl makeover so they glitz the whole thing up mm-hmm. um and this production would also utilize the video technology from the u.s tour they did have some tracks that went throughout the house um though when the theater and the hotel it was in were sold the show was selling selling out constantly everyone was coming there to see it, it was doing really well the new theater owners decided not to renew their lease and show the show could have ran like another five or six years, but it closed yeah. in 1997. Um, but at this point, we're going to head to my favorite fact about the show, which is we're going to go back to Europe into an incredible city in Germany called Bochum and the Starlight Express Theater. Um, that is correct. They built a theater with the express purpose of a German language production of Starlight Express. Express, express, express. Which, with only a small closing due to COVID-19, it is still running today. Hell yeah. They own the Guinness Book of World Records record for building the largest interactive theater in the quickest amount of time. They put the theater up in just over a year. But as of 2021, the show has been viewed by 17 million people in that theater. 17 million people in just a random town in germany oh i mean it's one of the large cities so like (laughs) german theater so like wicked like it's incredible they get to do freestanding productions like the uh, the helsinki productions and then which is not germany i know uh and then the german productions like wicked was in struthgard uh but like they'll move to major cities um and like uh Wilhelmine Varkruk, who is an incredible talent, was in Starlight Express. She was the original. Rebecca's being done. Yes. I mean, the Germans love musical theater, especially uh, like European musical theater. Um, When I was going to go to the last time I was in England, I literally almost purchased a train ticket and a very expensive show ticket to go see the show. We're talking like 160 euros in 2018. And I almost paid it. That would have been roughly about $300 American at the time. (laughs) Um, So the theater is incredible. And it's uh, the set features three sets of track in and around the theater. Like three sets. And it's been used as a way to work through the show during its lifetime. Like it constantly changes and shifts, but it's not like they just decide it actually is like active. Like the production continues to come back and be like, well, what can we change? But it's also a way to keep people coming back Mm -hmm. though. In 2017, 2018 Weber uh, went to see the show and felt that it had really deviated from his original version of the show. And he threatened to close it if they didn't veer it back to what it was. So he and Arlene Phillips, who was the choreographer, went back in and they reworked a new workshop version of the show at the other palace in London, which is now famous because of their incredible production of Heathers, which is available for free on Roku right now. Oh, um, nice. They did like a stripped down production with like 12, uh, seven people reworked the show to kind of find a balance of its contemporary 80s rock sound because that was back 
in 2018, we had gotten back to that sound. And so Weber kind of wanted to capitalize on this kind of nostalgia idea and really rehash what 80s rock sound sounded like. But they also, we give him a lot of shit, but they actively were trying to modernize the tone of the show because it was blatantly sexist. And they wanted to open up the gender identities of almost all of the characters so that you could just go with the right actor for the role and not care about about what gender, quote unquote, the the train is. And to give the female characters characterization and urgency and their own development, which... I think that's so awesome. Yeah. And it's, it's also great because it continues to bring audiences back to the theater to see the show as it shifts and changes. Um, The last big one they did was for the 30th anniversary. That was the last time the show got like a whole redesign. Like they redesigned set costumes. They modernized the looks, better wigs, all of these things, which is honestly like, we talk about Phantom closing because uh, we're recording this like two days after that announcement came. Yeah. Uh, the who knows what will happen by December when this airs. You know, I say give it like five or six years and then give us a new completely reworked Phantom. And somebody yeah. on TikTok was like, reworked and revisited means cheap with projections. And I was like, okay, the video screens for the Royal Albert Hall concert with Sierra Bagas and Ramin Karim Lou were gorgeous. That is my favorite production of Phantom. But also like, think about that you could really get in with period styling make it like a noir like make it like the classic universal monsters phantom of the opera like really dig in and revitalize your show and then it could run another 35 years it's fine to close for five or six years so it also saw the return of the entire creative team when they redesigned the show and modernized the costumes and sets the entire creative team came back oh that's cool so cool like i also think this is really fun because they were watching how train travel changed internationally and how technology changed and they put all of those changes into the show like the smoking car got taken out and they brought in a quiet car but the quiet car is only in certain productions and then they looked at like they added rap in at certain points and they added these like they took out the rocky trains rocky one two and three which were like coal cars and they put in hopper cars because and then they like kept updating the like the the japanese car is now called manga and it's all about like hyper rail travel like like electric like it's really fucking cool if you would believe this it didn't tour the uk until 2004 20 years into the run was when the first uk tour no i'm sure you look at that show and go why are we going to tour that show there's no reason to tour that show and it ran on and off through 2012 like this is something they very much do with uk tours um it's played asia to much love mexico city australia and new zealand and lives in infamy and love for many musical theater fans now there have been two um redesigned like freestanding productions one uh was in the netherlands dutch holland i believe and it was very cool looking it looks very different looks a lot like their wicked does which is very cool and then feld entertainment who i think is known best for disney on ice marvel universe live and monster jam in 1997 launched starlight express on ice with why do i feel like it would be safer why uh, probably would, like it be. would be safer. <laughs> so as ice skaters pantomiming to the original Broadway cast recording. Yeah, it was that first non-replica production. It toured for 30 days to mostly empty houses. Oh no. 
before the producers closed the shows. The amateur rights for the show became available in 2013. And as of 2018, the script available for rights is based on the 2018 revised German production. They're continually updating uh, like the version you can get it. But also, nobody does the show, which I kind of get it. But like, what if we didn't? So like, I had the thought of... What if we did it with Heelys like they did in Little Mermaid? Well, my question is, what if you did it in a Paralympic setting and you got folks in wheelchairs? <gasps> that would be really cool, right? Such a cool opportunity. And yeah. Like, just fucking cool. Yeah, it could be really fucking because I just keep imagining Ali Stoker as Pearl. Oh, yeah. Like, it's just the vision <laughs> I keep getting. Um, so what do I take away from this show as what I think is so important about it? So, like, we as theater people look at shows as infallible mm -hmm. and should be performed as the original writers saw fit. I mean, and this goes even to, like, community theaters will copy productions. Regional theaters will copy productions. I was just talking about Chorus Line today. They have an insane contract when you license the show that you have to design the show to look almost identical to the original Broadway. You have to do original choreography. You have to do original staging. That's why you're like Bjork Lee and so many of the original actors from Chorus Line have made their bread and butter remounting Chorus Line for the last 50 years. Like it's just something that's happening. Um, but this is a really cool example about how a show can change with the times mm. to be more accessible to audiences that are taking it in. Like, yeah. open up gender expressions for roles. Take out references and characters. They're, They're trains. trains. Take, take out characters that aren't working. Like, and I love that it's done by the original creators a lot of the time. So, like... Are you trying While to make me love Andrew Lloyd Webber right now? Like I know. This is one of those weird things. Like, I know he likes to flex a lot of control. But, like, what happens when that control is, let me come in and make my show better? Yeah. Like, because also think about, like, he's, for you know, 2018, that was, you know... 34 years after and he was able to reapproach the show with a new mindset no granted with his ego as well but like he's learned so much about being a composer so much about the industry mm -hmm. so much about like what audiences want mm -hmm. isn't that awesome like i think that's pretty cool like i think about shows like rent who we look at as infallible but like let's be honest and it's my main issue with the show knowing now so like jonathan larson died the night before their first preview on uh, Off-Broadway. Mm -hmm. And so with the exception of one change made to one character uh, about their HIV status in the final version of the show, everybody was afraid to touch the show. But Jonathan had students. He had people that worked to build that show with him. So why didn't, when it went to Broadway, like Rent is an unfinished show. It's three hours. It doesn't need to be. Mm. Like it's... It is flawed in many ways and it can be tweaked. There are a lot of shows that like don't work in like when they go to London or when other theaters do them as like a revised revival, that's when they're able to like tweak it. But then it's not always tweaked by the people who like know the material. Sometimes that's for the better. Sometimes it's for the worst. But like think about if you could revisit a show that you did a few, you know, 20 years later, or you had people who were your students who were like, Hey, what if we just tweak this thing? Then it wouldn't be a problem that we're on our, you know, 14th or 15th revival of music man on Broadway or all these things. A revival would mean something more. It's like, why, 
like a Deaf West Spring Awakening is incredible because it's it was, you know, it was 10 years after it had opened, but look at what they did with it. Or even though I didn't think it was super effective, the new Oklahoma revival, like it's one of those things that it's like, what if you could continually like address issues or like think about what Oklahoma would be if we could address like the, the violent murderous woman that Aunt Eller is the fact that like Judd's the hate towards Judd is because he was of Jewish descent and that like they just inherently hate Ali Hakim because he's also not white Mm -hmm. or like what happens when you make Judd Native American and not Jewish like these things like what happens to a show or what happens when you you know make Curly a woman or or they're just these little things like what happens when we tweak things to reflect a modern audience based on what we know later. Like think of how different we could tell showboat now based on what we know about miscegenation laws and the racist South and all these things. Like we, I do, I think we should ever have productions of those shows again. No, never again. But like, if you've got people that are romanticized so many things. Yes. So like an actual light. Yeah. Like, so Ultimately, this has been a very abbreviated story of Starlight Express. I will say also that the show led to a lot of medical insurance talks within the American uh, Equity Union. Uh, And it should also be an example for people to speak up about safety when asked to do things in a way that is going to be undamaging and unsafe to everyone involved. A lot of the Bosham uh, production is available on YouTube. So, like, please go fucking watch it. It is so good. Now, and my question is, with yes. Phantom closing, mm-hmm. it will be the first time in like 40 years that there's no Android Weber show playing on Broadway. Is it time for Starlight Express revival based on the Bosham production? I got my skates already. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it. Bring but it. But also think about a way that we could use the show to talk about how the American government and industry abandoned train travel for the gas industry. Like think about tweaking it and adding characters that are like the people that are running the race that are, you know, a coal company or are these different, like these different things to like tweak it and make it work. It could be really cool. I'm not saying rewrite the show, but I also think like we're at a point where like, what the fuck do we have left to lose with American theater right now? Like it is a, it is a skin in the game. (laughs) Literally it's true, but um, no, why not? I mean, and I'm just kind of tired of seeing humans doing human things. Like let's bring some fucking trains into it. Yeah. I, at this festival that I was at, my favorite show that I watched was called Gordon Gets Down, which is about a goat who's trying to learn how to dance and he cannot dance. And the amount of times I cried watching this show because a sweet little baby goat did not know how to dance like all the other little goats did. Ugh. I was like, I am fucking invested in this goat musical. I love TYA theater so much. It's so cute. I mean, I, love that. I, I know love that, that I would get emotionally involved with the train. And that's a weird thing for me as a 33-year-old woman to admit. But I'm oh, doing I, it here. It's the end of season I would, one. I would, die, I, would die, the end. I would die for Rusty. I would absolutely die for Rusty. Absolutely. Speaking of, 
Uh, Jane Krakowski played Dinah. Dinah, that sounds correct. That She's does sound very cute. correct. There was a huge who's who now of Broadway people that went through that show. Uh, it is it is something. But yeah, so I encourage everybody to like, let's stop pretending that Cats isn't full of bops. Like the Cats movie was a train wreck. But do you know what is always my my argument for why every musical needs a pro shot is that 1998 international version of Cats that they filmed in the warehouse. That is breathtaking. Is that, that the one that I was revi- always on PBS? Yes. Yes. To that ask was... me what show got me into theater, and it was that me too. production. Me too. Thank you. I Rainy never. ass television rendition. My mom was like, please stop watching this. And I went, Jellica Cats, Jellica, Jellica Cats. Jellica Cats, Angelica's do. Jellica's from a Jellica Cat, Jellica. Oh, yeah. You're doing the, uh, uh, I'm doing the, the, the nobody shoulder can see dance. It. The shoulder just... charge back as you do the, the lean back. Oh, yes. God. Oh. She said she thought she was a dancer oh. first, but she was not when it came to cats. Never done no, cats. Oh, God. Oh. I always said when the, the non-union cats tour was going back out like a decade ago, I was like, oh, I could go play old Deuteronomy. I want to Yes, do you that. could. He's the only. Give me a sassy, fat, gay old Deuteronomy any and day. And I'll just Give take it. the sad, crying one. Holy <laughs> <laughs> like nerd in the moonlight. I'm sorry, Jennifer Hudson's rendition of that is breathtaking. Oh, though. yeah, I'll watch that for fucking days. I, I will say she's an incredible performer, but someone whose live performances in theater went best through the scope of Dreamgirls where they got to edit it down. Because like while she was a be- incredible in The Color Purple, I did not get a full gauge of Sugar Avery until I got to see the goddess of goddesses, Heather Headley, mm. take over that role. But I also just imagine... The incredible young talented people who are all like people with weird skills in shows that would be amazing in Starlight Express. Oh, yeah. Like it's honestly a show that if you cast like stars as like Greaseball and Electra and Dinah and Pearl, maybe, but like, or Pops. Uh, which uh, Papa and then they also made Papa Mama at one point. So like mm-hmm. either gender could play that, which I think is amazing. Like, I just think about all the amazing young talent that would be willing to come and do that show. Cause like, I think we're at the point where it's the right amount of cringe. And so I want anyone out there to put your money where your mouth is and produce a production of Starlight Express for me, please. I don't even have to design it. I don't want to design it. But I would love to just take part of it in some way. I'll risk my ankles. I'll, <laughs> I'll strengthen my ankles. I'll learn I'll how to roller skate. <laughs> I do have roller skates. I'm pre- I'm not that bad. Honestly, I would love a world where both Xanadu and Starlight Express are both running yes! on Broadway again at the same time. Xanadu's so good. If you missed out on my main show, Saturday Morning Confidential, I literally just did... Uh, the case for Xanadu of why it all deserves our utmost respect. So everyone should uh, go check that out. Uh, everyone, check out M's podcast if you haven't yet. Uh, yes. M, give us a sizzle. Give us, a, give, us um, give us what it is where they can find it. Well, at this point, um, let's pray that I I don't know how many seasons how many episodes will uh, become a season one, but um. 
It is called Oh, I'm Lonely, and it is a podcast about finding purpose in the different areas of our life where we feel lonely, um, because this year, as many of y'all know, um, because, you know, we talk about it literally every episode, uh, that while my uh, husband is out on tour, I've been living life by myself and re-finding myself in very different ways and I realized that loneliness is a part of that journey and that there are different areas of everybody's lives where loneliness is like the she's playing the main character energy and mm-hmm. we're just along for the ride and I think that there's a lot of purpose and a lot of lessons to learn from what loneliness is trying to teach you and I'm bringing on as many friends as possible to talk about that and to help people find connection and be less alone in the loneliness that we all feel and maddie please at this point we're only in september recording this i would love to have you on Um, yes i mean i just want i I just want to bring i want all my friends on to just talk about it and 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 feel love from people listening and um yeah as of right now um it is and i'm 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 holding it out there i'm going to hold myself accountable um that it it comes out every thursday I love that. I love it. Yeah. Also, uh, because we haven't recorded since this happened, we are now part of this certain point yeah. of view media podcast network, which is well, where my well, other well, show well. is. Uh, it is amazing. It is. Uh, we have gaming podcasts. We have music podcasts. We have book podcasts. We have lots of film and television podcasts. It started as a Star Wars network and has become um certain point of view it is multiple opinions and points of view it is incredible cool. uh we just also uh brought on united states of women mm-hmm. where they do and inc- their seasons are based they go in the order of when states became states and talk about incredible women that changed history in That's that state so cool. That's uh, so absolutely cool. incredible so you can find all of the shows at certainpov.com we will have a spot there you can also find us on social media where our link tree is so you can find us everywhere you can go get your absolutely not t-shirt on our teespring to carry you until season two absolutely not with the red flags we got them both on the same one but red flags am i can't wait to hear you talk about spider-man next time i am me too (laughs) tis a trip it is a trip so my friend until next time until next time my love Don't worry, listeners. No need to adjust your dial. This is Landline Radio. Welcome to the end of the dial at the end of the world. I'm the host, and we bring you stories too chilling and strange to be true, right from the heart of towns where the lines between this world and the next connect. Stories from people just like you. For those long, dark, lonely nights driving down roads that never seem to end. We'll be here. And don't worry if you can't find us. We'll find you. Leyline Radio is from Dreamer Productions and can be found monthly exclusively starting in October on their Patreon feed. Follow the link in the show notes below to hear and enjoy. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. Exit Stage Death is brought to you by Dreamer Productions. 
This episode was audio engineered and edited by Maddie Limerick. And our theme is Antisocial Dance Party by Brett Eagleston from the Let's Rewatch podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Stage Death Podcast. On Twitter at Stage Death Pod. And send us your favorite chilling theater stories at Stage Death Podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Patreon.com at Dreamer Productions, where your donation of $2 a month keeps quality content coming your way on your favorite podcatcher app. Join us for more chilling true stories on the next episode of Exit Stage Death. CPOV. CertainPOV.com.